we're talking about walking in humility and um, that's not an easy topic for me because generally when you speak on something or teach on something, it's because either you know it well or you've lived it um, or you're an expert in it. And neither of those are true for me when it comes to humility. And um, in fact, the reason I'm teaching on it today is because in this season of fasting is something that I realized in this season in general that I really don't know about uh, enough about it. And so I started studying it a little bit and I wanna share what the um, Lord put on my heart. And the scripture that we're gonna read is 1 Peter 5, verses five through seven. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with, with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Amen. And before we talk about humility, we really need to know what the Bible says about pride, um, because pride is the, the opposite of humility. And the definition of pride, according to Merriam-Webster, is a feeling that you respect yourself and deserve to be respected by other people, a feeling that you are more important or better than other people. I didn't come up with that, um, it's in the dictionary. A feeling of happiness that you get when you or someone you know does something good or difficult. That's the positive side of pride, right? You're, you're proud of someone, you're proud to be their mom or their friend or proud of what they've done. But we're going to talk about the two first points, kind of the, the negative side. And um, pride becomes sinful when it is excessively self-focused and self-elevating. Let me read that again. Pride becomes sinful when it is excessively self-focused and self-elevating. Synonyms for pride in the Bible are insolence, presumptuousness, arrogance, conceit, high-mindedness, haughtiness, and egotism. And um, you're probably all aware that pride was actually the very first sin, even before Adam and Eve. We sometimes forget that before Adam and Eve, there was already sin. And in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14, they talk about the rebellion and fall of Satan. And I want to read that to you, um, Isaiah 14, verses 12. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, and that's where the pride comes, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And it clearly describes um, um, the, the pride that Lucifer had. He wanted to be like God. And um, the Bible tells us a little bit about God's view on pride. Um, the first one we just read, it says, God opposes the proud. The second one is God hates pride. And yes, it does say hate. I, my, my children use that word sometimes. I hate peace or I, I hate this teacher. And I always said hate is a very strong word. Can, can you use a different word? And, but it, when it comes to pride, God really does say hate. And we're gonna, um, I'm going to read Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 17. And I have a lot of scriptures today. That's good to have a sermon with scriptures in it. And um, you won't have time to turn up to all of them. So they're in your sermon notes. 
but Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 says, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. So hate and abomination. And the first one listed is a proud look or prideful eyes proud look or prideful eyes and some scholars go as far as to say that god hates pride more than any other sin and that pride is pride is at the core of all sin and um, i would agree with that the bible also says that god will punish pride in proverbs 16 verse 5 it says everyone who is proud in the heart is an abomination to the lord assuredly he will not be unpunished so god punishes pride and we all know that pride comes before the fall that's also in proverbs it's proverbs 16 verse 18 and i just mentioned lucifer um, his pride caused him to fall in a, in a big way. But Adam and Eve were also pride, uh, uh, proud. And the interesting thing is, um, remember the snake told them, if uh, Eve said, well, the Lord said, if we eat of this fruit, we will die. And he said, no, 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 that's not true. You will be like God if you eat of this fruit. And that was appealing to them, and that's pride. So they ate of the fruit, they wanted to be like God, and it caused their fall, and were still kind of reaping the consequences of that, don't we? And there are many more examples in the Bible of people who were proud and, and it caused their fall, but I would say that there's examples in our lives and, um, and in, 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 in our leadership, whether that's in, in, in churches or, or um, companies or, or our country, and we can go back in history and see where people were proud and it caused their fall. Um, to prepare for this sermon, I, I read a book by a man named C.J. Mahaney, and his book is appropriately called Humility. <laughs> and he, um, he describes or defines pride as, pride is when sinful human beings are, as, aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on him. I'm going to read that again. Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on him. In other words, he's saying that we say that we're like God or we don't need God. And um, pride in itself can take on many forms, um, but it really only has one end goal, and that is self-glorification. So when we're proud, our goal is to glorify ourselves. And what that does is we rob God of the glory that he deserves to glorify ourselves. Right? That's why God hates pride so much. And um, here I was going to list some characteristics of a proud person or a prideful person uh, but when i thought about it i had this nice list i thought you know what's going to happen when i read that list all of us are going to go down the list and go oh i don't say that oh yeah no i i don't do that oh no i'm not like that oh i must not have a problem with pride <laughs> and so i thought instead of doing that we're going to let the holy spirit do the convicting today right because he can point out the areas in our lives where we're prideful that maybe we don't even know are there so now that we know what pride is, let's talk about the opposite of pride, that's humility. And the definition of humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance or humbleness. And again, C.J. Mahaney in his book, he defines humility saying, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness 
and our sinfulness. Isn't that so much better? Honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. And when we look at our own sin and acknowledge how, how, how sinful we are, and then we compare that to God's perfect holiness, we can't but feel humbled. And um, the Bible says that God regards the humble. In Isaiah 66 verse 2, it says, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The humble person is the person that God looks to. And it says that God honors the humble. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. So God honors the humble. And then finally, God rewards the humble. In Proverbs 22, verse 4, it says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Isn't that what we strive for? Honor and life. Riches, yes, riches too. It depends on how you define that. But yes, honor and life. And so now that we have an understanding of what pride, what the Bible says about pride and humility, let's go back to our text. Um, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, it says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So my first point is really humility toward one another. And this second part of the scripture where it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble, that's actually a quote from the Old Testament from Proverbs 3.34. And that same um, scripture is mentioned again in James 4, verse 6, different author, James, not Peter, um, but it's interesting that they both uh, mention that scripture from the Old Testament. And before I talk about what it means to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another, I want to talk a little bit about the background of the letter First Peter. Now, First Peter was written by Peter <laughs> um, to the persecuted church in five regions of Asia Minor. And it was written around 64 AD. They never know the exact year. But it was right at the beginning of a severe persecution under the Roman Emperor Nero. And if you've ever heard anything about how Nero persecuted the church, you're familiar with just how vicious and awful he was. If you haven't, I would encourage you to, 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 read, to read up on it. Um, but some people even say he was like the first antichrist. He was so evil. And um, in this letter, Peter exhorts the believers who are facing this persecution that they should emulate the suffering of Christ in their distress, remembering that after the passion, Jesus, after his passion and death, Jesus rose from the dead and is now in glory. And although it's not mentioned in the Bible itself, um, numerous writers of that time uh, described that Peter was actually martyred under Nero in Rome um, around shortly after this letter was written within a few years of that. And so it's in this context of persecution that Peter wrote that letter. And in the last chapter, he reminds the believers how to deal with each other in those circumstances. Now, we can't even imagine what it would be like to be persecuted like that, although there are many Christians around the world, brothers and sisters right now, who are being persecuted in, in horrible, horrible ways. Um, but what we do know is, is um, the pressure um, 
um, what it is to be under pressure. I would say just in these last two years, our world as we've known it has changed and that has brought tremendous stress to a lot of us, some more than others. Um, but I think all of us have felt under pressure in, in one way or another. And what does pressure do? Um, pressure creates quarrels and disunity, right? Because all of us deal differently with pressure. I think you see that even in a marriage or in a relationship at home when there's financial pressure or maybe illness or, or um, severe stress, people within that family will deal with it differently and it turns into arguments and, and disunity. And so imagine the stress that these believers were under and I believe that's, that, that, that's what they were going through. And disunity and disagreement are the perfect breeding ground for pride, aren't they? Because suddenly we're like, well, they're not handling this situation as well as I am, or they're, I'm right and they're wrong, or I'm better than, they. I mean, you know, the list can go on and on. But Peter is saying to the believers, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And so what does that mean to put on, to put on humility, to clothe yourselves with humility? Um, the, I'm gonna mention two scriptures here, Philippians 2 verse 3. It says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility in mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's one way to be humble. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility in mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Earlier we learned that pride means you regard yourself better than other people. You think you're better, but um, Philippians um, is saying, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. So were we supposed to regard others as more important than ourselves? And I would say that's really hard to do. Um, we live in a society that is extremely selfish. Everyone's always asking, well, how is this benefiting me? What am I getting out of this? Uh, but through the Holy Spirit, Peter is encouraging the believers to ask, if I do this, will it benefit my friend, my family, my fellow believer? If I post this on social media, will this hurt someone's feelings or slander someone? Is this going to encourage those who read it? Will what I am about to say make someone else look bad? Um, is this action going to allow this person to advance instead of me? You know, there's all kinds of things how we can regard others higher than ourselves. And um, I have a small example in my life. I have an aunt who lives in Germany. She's 83 years old. Um, and she's a, um, a very bitter, bitter, unforgiving woman, has had a really hard life, no children, in an unhappy marriage. And... Um, Growing up, you know, I used to visit her and then um, uh, I call her here and there. And so when I moved here, she doesn't have computers, she doesn't have cell phones. So really, the only way I can be in touch with her is by calling her. And so I would call her maybe three, four times a year because the conversations are always the same. She's negative and th then she'll start attacking my faith and, you know, that God, how can there be a God in this evil world and why I waste my time on this? So needless to say, they're not fun conversations. But she's also not a believer and she's one of the people that I've been praying for for many, many years. And a couple years ago, I hung up the phone after an another not so good conversation and I was so angry and I told the Lord, I said, I don't even want to spend eternity with her. <laughs> 
And I said, I am, you know, this is so terrible. I'm not getting anything out of these, converse, uh, these phone calls. And the Lord said, Susanna, this is not about you. He said, this is about her salvation. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so during the pandemic, you know, we're almost two years into this. Um, I started calling her more regularly. She's really lonely. And, you know, the lockdowns haven't helped. And now for the past year, I'm calling her every other Sunday at 8 a.m. She's expecting my call. She looks forward to it. And can I say, I look forward to it. Um, we have neat conversations. We talk about faith because instead of me trying to defend my, she'll say, well, how, you know, all this is going on. Do you, you know, do you still believe that there is a God? And I said, yes, and I'll, I'll be able to share my faith. And she actually listens. And now she says, well, I, I have my own faith. And so, just as I had to humble myself, I had to, you know, say this is not about me. And so that's just one example. Um, Romans 12 verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Live in harmony with one another. Wow, <laughs> that's a hard one to do. Um, other translations say, be of the same mind. Um, I would say we, we can translate it as no matter what your background is, your political view, your ethnicity, your race, your social status, your education, even your opinion, we're called to live in harmony with each other. And I would say that um, in, the, in, in, this, um, in this season, I think harmony is hard to come by um, within our church, within our families, within, within neighbors at work, um, harmony is, is, is hard to come by. And my question is, or what the Lord has been asking me as believers, are we striving to live in harmony? You know, are we able to maybe sometimes say, you know, well, let's just agree to disagree. And I love you anyways. And, you know, let's have coffee. Let's, uh, uh, let's, let's um, do something together. So living in harmony. And then it says, be willing to associate with people who are not like you is really what it's saying. And again, we're in a society where we like to hang out with our own, right? It's easier to hang out with people that think like us, um, maybe, our, you know, our, our similar backgrounds, but that's not what Jesus did. Right, he sought out those who are very came from very different walks of life, and and that's what we're called to do. So, regardless of someone's lifestyle or status or or opinion, or even religion or race, we're called to to associate with everyone. And um, I am going to list some characteristics of a humble person um, as in dealing with other people and. Um, I, there's, I mean, the list is endless, right? There's a lot of examples you can, you can come up with but, I, with, but I'm listing a few. So the first one is, a humble person is teachable. A humble person is at peace with themselves and others. A humble person is grateful. And that was, I looked up online just different lists of, of what a humble person should be like. And that was on every list. And I thought that was really interesting. A humble person is grateful. Because out of that, you know, when you're grateful, you kind of realize it's not something I did. Um, it's God's blessing on my life. A humble person is slow to offend and quick to forgive. A humble person asks for help. A humble person treats everybody with respect. A humble person is patient and doesn't easily get frustrated with the imperfection of others. That's a hard one, I'm not very patient. A humble person recognizes their own limitations. 
and a humble person celebrates the accomplishment of others. Imagine if we can take that list and apply it to our lives and live that way with our um, family, with our friends, um, how different some of the situations would be. And next, humbling ourselves before God. So we just talked about how to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another, but humbling ourselves before God. Verse 6 says of First Peter 5, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, notice that it says, humble yourselves. Um, it's an imperative, which means it's a command. The verb is an imperative, it's a command. And humbling ourselves is something that we need to actively pursue. It's our responsibility. Um, we can't pray, God, make me humble. Um, I, it's, it's like saying, oh, I used to be so prideful, but then I prayed and I prayed, and one morning I woke up and I, I was... I was so humble. Suddenly, you know, that's wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> God make me humble. No, it's it's um, it's it's us um, taking that step, and um, it takes us back to the definition of humility that I read earlier by C.J. Mahaney, and I'm going to read it again in light of that. It says, "Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. It's us assessing ourselves, right?" in light of um, God's holiness and our sinfulness. It's an act on our part, not a miraculous work of God. Yes, I believe in miracles, <laughs> but um, that's not one of them. <laughs> um, and there are a few ways that we can humble ourselves before God. So the first one is um, in a season that we're in right now, fasting. The Bible actually tells us that one of the ways to humble ourselves before God is through fasting. And in Psalm 35, verse 13, it says, I humbled my soul with fasting. And I, think, I find it kind of interesting, why would not eating humble, our, uh, humble us? Um, but um, in this season of fasting, because there's so much I feel I still don't understand about fasting, I reread uh, Jensen Franklin's book on fasting. And then also Derek Prince wrote a book on fasting, and they both kind of talk about that aspect of um, humbling ourselves. But what one of them says, he says, we renounce the natural food hunger to invoke the supernatural. And um, this is funny, but I, I love to eat. I really do. I love cooking. I, I love to snack. I never, and you can ask my family, I never go anywhere without bringing a snack. I'm always overprepared. And I have this fear of being hungry. I don't know why I didn't grow up. You know, I could see if I had grown up and maybe there were times we didn't have food on the table. That was not the case. But for some reason, food is really important to me. And so for me to fast can be really hard and challenging. I know for some it comes easy. It's not even a big deal. But for me, it really is something that I have to focus on, I have to overcome, and I'll have the enemy say, well, is it really a big deal if you don't eat a, you know, if you eat this meal, is the Lord really going to bless you less? But you know, it's not about that, it's about going deeper with the Lord, and what I do find is that when I humble myself in that way through fasting, the Lord does, be, I hear the Lord more, and He will bring up things in my life that I had ignored before, or didn't even know were an issue, and so if you're struggling with that the way that that I am, I would just encourage you to give it a try <laughs> um, because it, 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 you, you will go deeper with the Lord and he will honor you humbling yourself in that way. Um, we humble ourselves through prayer and repentance. Um, in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. So it takes humility to acknowledge our sin, doesn't it? And to turn to God and ask for his forgiveness and to repent which means to turn away from sin, to turn 180 degrees from sin. There's a difference. Forgiving is saying, asking for forgiveness is to say, oh, I'm sorry. But repenting is turning away from it and going in the other direction and not doing it again. And um, we, we humble ourselves through prayer. The word that God gave me for 2022 is prayer. Um, I don't always get a word for every year, but as I was kind of preparing myself for 2022, I felt like the Lord said that I need to learn more about prayer. And, you know, I grew up in the church. I've always prayed. Um, but I think there's so much that I still need to learn about prayer and what it means to pray without ceasing and to really go deep in that. Now notice um, that after Peter is commanding um, um, this, that they should humble themselves before the, under the mighty hand of God, he continues saying that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that, so God isn't just asking our, us to humble ourselves, but there really, it comes with a benefit. I mentioned that about fasting, when we humble ourselves in that way, there, there's a reward. And um, it, it, in this time of fasting, when, when casting our anxiety on him really is a, is a part of, of humbling ourselves, because what it does is it's us saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I don't know what to do. I am out of resources, ideas. Uh, I don't have the strength or the courage to do this or to overcome that. And, and then it says, because he cares for you. And it, caring means if you care for someone, you want them to do well, you want what's best for them, you want them to succeed, right? So by casting our anxiety on him, God then in return will help us. He will answer our prayer. He will help us through this difficulty or overcome whatever it is that we need to overcome. And um, when we humble ourselves, we put God back in his rightful place. Um, a humble person is open to a deep relationship with God. Humility knows that God is the creator and we're the created. And pride elevates self over God. And, you know, pride leads us to worship idols such as control, power, money, sex. But humility leads us to Jesus. Amen. And that brings me to my third point. Um, we can't really talk about walking in humility um, with each other or um, humbling ourselves before God without talking about Jesus, who was the ultimate example of humility. And um, Jesus taught his disciples humility. Um, I don't know if you guys, uh, you might remember the story in Mark 10, where two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, they were kind of one talking among themselves and wondering what their place would be in with Jesus when he was in glory, when he had ascended to heaven. And um, they determined that they wanted to be the ones sitting at his right and at his left. And I can just imagine them kind of saying, you know, staying behind. The disciples are all walking and Jesus is walking with them. And the two of them are kind of walking a little bit slower, just, you know, discussing among themselves. Don't you think that we two are kind of like better than 
those 10, and don't you think that you and I kind of deserve the seat, you know, seats closest to Jesus when he's in glory, you know, one of, one of us on the left, one of us on the right, and after talking for a while, when they thought that Jesus would probably agree, they, you know, called Jesus over and they said, Jesus, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. And um, what did Jesus say? Sure, I agree. You guys are the best. No. <laughs> First of all, the other 10 overheard what they said. And I love that it says they were upset with James and John. And, you know, it kind of makes me happy that, you know, we struggle with so many things in our life. And I don't know how many times I tell myself, gosh, I've been a Christian for, you know, 40 years or whatever. And why is this still an issue in my life? Or why haven't I overcome that? And, and the disciples walked with Jesus for three years, day and night. I mean, they heard all his teachings out of his mouth. They saw his humility. They saw how he was sinless. They saw all the miracles that he did. And yet they still dealt with all these issues. So they dealt with pride and and um, and so Jesus kind of got all his disciples together and he said, you know, when someone is a ruler, they lord it over the people who they reign over and they exercise their authority. But then he says, but, this, but it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become, become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's humility, right? Jesus, the Son of God, <laughs> said, I did not come to reign and rule. I did not come to let every know, everyone know how great I am. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so he, in other, um, other times, he told his disciples, if you want to be first, you need to be last. And you need to be the one serving others, giving up your status, your rights, your wants, because that's what Jesus did. And so really, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice of humility. In, um, in Philippians 2, verse 8, it says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That was Jesus' ultimate sacrifice of humility. And so Jesus not only walked on this earth in true humility, we see it throughout the Gospels, but the ultimate demonstration of humility was his death on the cross. And may we learn to walk in such humility, not only before God, but also toward one another. That's what we want, isn't it? And um, I'm, I'm going to close, and so if, um, I think it's Gerald that's going to come up. Um, but John Scott, another author, said, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, Pride is our greatest enemy, and humility is our greatest friend. So pride is our greatest enemy, and humility is our greatest friend. And I want to ask you, how often has pride been in the way of confessing sin, or doing the right thing, or treating someone with respect? Um, how often has humility caused us to repent to let someone else get the praise for something that we did or to help someone in need. And so it's through Jesus' death on the cross that we can humble ourselves before God. Um, we can seek him, we can repent. 
ask him for forgiveness, knowing that we will be forgiven, right, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And it's his example of servanthood and humility um, we, um, that helps us how to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another and regarding others higher than ourselves. And so during these 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're, we're like halfway through, we're halfway through this time, it's my prayer that you will take an honest look at areas in your life where pride has creeped in and where you have not walked in humility. And, um, you know, use this time of fasting to humble yourself before the Lord and let Him meet you, speak to you, encourage you, heal you, deliver you. And I know for me, um, even just preparing this service, sermon, God has convicted me of some pride in this season. You know, um, you know I've, we all have our opin opinions with everything that's going on, and I've spent so much time online trying to make sure, you know, trying to figure out if I'm wrong or the others are wrong or if I'm right and the others are right. And, you know, it does it, it, what it what it's doing it's taking away time and that's what the lord told me it really doesn't make a difference but what it's doing it's taking away that time that i could be spending in the word that i could be spending praying that i could be spending calling a friend who maybe isn't doing so well in this season or a co-worker who um, maybe was laid off um, because of this and so i would just encourage you to 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 really let the Lord show you what what could you do instead, you know where where are we where do we need to um, walk with each other, and l walking in humility is a process. It does not happen overnight, and really, it's only the Holy Spirit that can convict us and help us um, or show us to to do a different way. And um, I want to close by reading a prayer. Um, it's by a man named Raphael Cardinal Mary Delval. He had a much longer name. That's the shorter version of his name. But he was a Catholic cardinal of Spanish descent. He was born in London, um, raised in England, and he lived from 1865 to 1930. And he wrote this prayer called A Christian Litany of Humility. And while I read this, if you would close your eyes and just let this, let this prayer speak to you. It says, O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calum calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus that others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. 
that others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. And that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should, Jesus. Grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Jesus, that is our desire. And we know it's a process. It's not going to come easy. But Lord, our desire is to walk in humility, not just to humble ourselves before you, but to walk in humility with each other. Lord, to know what it means to think of others first, to think of others higher than we think of ourselves, to not be afraid if someone advances and we don't, <laughs> to not be afraid if, um, of, of someone um, being more um, productful in life or maybe even more prosperous in life than we are, Lord because ultimately what we want to do is to obey what you want us to do, Lord, no matter the cost. And so in this season of prayer and fasting, Lord, I thank you that you will meet us when we humble ourselves and we fast and we pray and we seek your face. Lord, you will meet us, you will heal us, Lord, you will deliver us. And that is my prayer for everyone who is listening to this tonight, this morning, Lord, whether, whether it's here in person or online, Lord, we meet, we meet, may we, um, spend time with you and learn how to walk humbly, Lord. We thank you for that, Jesus. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your presence. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church. Mm -hmm.